You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey kids, here we are at episode 9 of Fly on the Call. Candid Conversations on Music. Today, I'm speaking with Megan from Foxtails. Their new album, Querida Hija, is out now on Emocat Records, and is for sure one of the most unique I've heard all year. The core of the band's sound is screamo, but they experiment with math rock, jazz, and so much more. They're like nothing I've ever heard, and I mean that in a good way. Our conversation hits on Foxtails starting out making indie rock, the growth both the band and its individual members have experienced in the almost five years they've been together, bringing Spanish into Screamo, and lots more. This is probably one of the most wide-reaching conversations to be featured on the podcast so far, and I hope you enjoy it. Like I've mentioned, I'm from Connecticut, but I'm not like super connected into like the like screamo scene in Connecticut mm-hmm. or in general. Um, so I was just wondering like if you could kind of tell me a little bit about it both in Connecticut and just like overall. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so in Connecticut, it's kind of um, it's weird because everybody in Connecticut is so isolated, you know, um, sure. and a lot of the scene kind of turns a little clicky. Um, so indie kids, you get the hardcore kids, you got like the metalcore kids, you got all that stuff. Um, and sort of everybody just like has like their little groups that they fall into. So it's a little weird with Screamo because I mean, there, there have been some really good Screamo bands that have come out of Connecticut, but for the most part, they're pretty isolated. It's hard to get shows. Even people who are playing from like out of state have told me like, yeah, it's kind of impossible to book in Connecticut. Um, and there's a lot of issues, you know, with venues too. Like we used to have a good amount of venues in Connecticut in the area, but I don't know what happened. They all just started shutting down fire marshals, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and it's funny cause now, we pretty much just play shows out of state for the most part. We don't really play Connecticut shows anymore. We have played a couple recently, um, so that's nice. But um, there's only like two or three spots left. It's kind of tragic. I wish that the scene was a little more alive here, but that's that's just how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've definitely, like, like you mentioned, the kind of uh, – people just being like really kind of separate all the scenes and kind of I've definitely noticed that too and mm-hmm. it's like been hard for me to kind of like get a, a footing and kind of like even just like like I said I found out about you guys because limited to one the record store posted about you when you played that show with Jerome's dream or uh-huh. um so like 
it's like even as someone who's local it's kind of hard to like kind of really get connected to the scene <laughs> yeah yeah definitely I totally get that <laughs> but I mean it seems like just from you know like just a basic google search and stuff it seems like you guys kind of like there's kind of a lot of like little pockets on the internet that kind of have really taken like foxtails up and kind of like embraced you like can you talk a little bit about that um yeah yeah of course it's it's weird because yeah like it's the internet was basic the internet is basically everything (laughs) if it weren't for the internet like a lot of us would be really miserable (laughs) um but it was definitely one of the the things that we were able to connect with people from other states um and we were able to sort of get a glimpse into like what the scene looks like um outside of connecticut and what it is compared to Connecticut. Um, and yeah, we, we pretty much played shows, we play shows out of state pretty often. Um, that, I guess it's just because they have, like for example, New Jersey. New Jersey is like, has a great scene and everybody seems to be like pretty connected there, even though it's like New Jersey, which is weird. <laughs> But yeah, there have been people who are out of state that will kind of like take us in and they really like us. And um, I mean, like we got to play in fucking Canada, which was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd go to Canada. That's really rad. And um, yeah, it's it's so cool how like you can just kind of like find, even if it's like a super niche community, like you can find these little pockets on online that for whatever it is you're into, that kind of like works well as an outlet. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, like, I've spent the most time with, like, um, Three and Karita Iha. Um, Sorry if I mispronounced that. good job. (laughs) You did it. (laughs) Um, But I I did listen, like, a little bit to kind of, like, everything else. And um, there's obviously been, like, a lot of, like, major changes since, like, the the debut, This Is Not For You. Um, Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about, like, just the kind of, like, progression of the band since then? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, so when we did our first album, it was pretty, you know, I was, I think, 15 when that album came out. Um, And so was our drummer um Mike and John the guitarist um they were just like two years ahead of us so they were like 17 um and we were we kind of went into it because it's really funny because the name Foxtails was I was I named the band Foxtails because I thought we were going to be like a really cute like indie (laughs) band that was going to be like block party-esque and stuff and I was just like um yeah it did not end up being that way and as we got more comfortable with each other um we started to explore things a little bit more um and then at the time you know we weren't really that much into screamo um we we were really young so we were more into like the you know like me and mike bonded over radiohead and me and john bonded over block party um and it was just sort of like a different time in our lives and then we made the album um john dropped their entire life savings on it (laughs) um and we released the first album we were not expecting 
the reception that we got, we, I w I was expecting it to flop completely. I, <laughs> I like, I was just not for it. I didn't like it. I never liked it even from the beginning, but I did like that one song of the album that everybody ended up liking, which was crazy. Cause from there we went to, um, O Tempora Omores, which was our EP. Um, and that EP was definitely sort of like, it was definitely a turning point um, because we went from this sort of like uh, dream poppy um, mixed with screaming type sound, like really pretty twinkly stuff. And we had the first song on um, O Tempora was essentially just like a buildup for like a minute and a half and then it's silence and then I scream and then it's blast beats and then the next song after that is like a really cutesy like almost like twinkly type of song but then there were also like these weird mixes of time signatures and so like at that point we started like fucking around a little bit more and we started <laughs> being like oh okay like we can do this we can do this we can make this work um and so when three came out three was sort of like the culmination of everything and it was taking the sort of um the technicality of o tempora um mixed kind of with a little bit of the emotion of this is not for you um and we had developed as people i mean as musicians um i think i was 17 when that when three came out and it was mostly a progression to sort of like an emotional outpour. And, you know, I had always done it, you know, for the most part, but three was something that we all sort of finally like listened to each other and we worked off of each other um, and we weren't afraid to sort of push the envelope a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, ended up being like this really weird album with like a lot of quirks in it and um but it was also like the underlying emotion of just like melancholy and you know like nostalgia um and that's one of the things I really like about that album I feel like it's very nostalgic um especially because the cover is a, is a picture of my mom um <laughs> with the Statue of Liberty so yeah and pretty much as we progress we just got less scared pretty much <laughs> we just did what we wanted to do <laughs> well that's awesome it's it's really cool to like be able to kind of chart that and I mean like the fact that you were so young when the band started and like that you're able to kind of like grow up alongside it is like really cool yeah. could you talk a little bit more about that about like just like kind of your personalities and stuff like kind of changing in time with the band oh yeah yeah um like for me it was like when I was younger 15 you know around the time that we were forming and stuff I was pretty shy I was very nervous I had horrible stage fright and it was sort of just something that I was too afraid to explore yet I mean like even if you hear like um my vocals and this is not for you compared to now like I was very held back I was very reserved nervous um and then eventually like John and Mike gave me the confidence to sort of be able to say like, fuck it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then John as a guitarist, um, they definitely were taking influences from a lot of places, especially um, in the first album. But as they 
you know, grew up a little, they started being like, oh, I just want to do what I want to do. Um, and they were always, they're, they're, they're pretty, um, they're an interesting person. <laughs> I love them to death. <laughs> they are very, very weird with their guitar playing and it's sick. I think that like their, their style of, you know, the way that they play guitar is so unique that when it was finally like developing even more, when it was starting to get more technically correct, when it was starting to get to the point where you remote through, um, through, you know, guitar, mm-hmm. it, it got to the point where they would make these crazy riffs. They would make these really heartbreaking like chord progressions. And like, it was just, and I would just be like, Oh, like, that's so sad. Like that, that's so, um, depressing. And they were like, great. That's exactly <laughs> where I'm going. <laughs> and then Mike, Mike, I think I owe it the most too. Cause Mike used to be very, very hard on himself. Mike was very, um, he was very precise. He wanted things a certain way. He was very exact. He was very, um, you know, he didn't, he didn't let himself relax really. Um, and so he put a lot of pressure on himself in the beginning. And, you know, as we all just, you know, got to know each other and became good friends, um, we started to, you know, tell Mike, you know, like, Hey, like you did great. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Like, you're amazing. You're talented, blah, 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 blah. And eventually, um, I don't know if it was us that, made him come to the realization but either way I'm glad he came to it and he came to the realization that if you you know if you fuck up you fuck up and you just keep playing the music you just keep doing what you want to do and from that point on I would say like definitely after the first album um probably like a little bit after the EP he really started like disinhibiting himself as a drummer as well um and he became much more comfortable with himself and it's a it's a beautiful thing because he's literally like John and Mike are two of the most talented people I've ever met in my life and I'm I'm just grateful to be making music with them but Mike Mike grew a lot as a person Mike Mike went from you know like being really hard on him to fucking up part and laughing it off on stage and just (laughs) keeps going you know Mm -hmm. yeah for sure That's, that's really rad the way you kind of like all pulled each other up in a way and like kind of embraced just like the craziness and like the rawness of like the music and yourselves too. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I I think I had read something, uh, I'm not sure where it was exactly, but about you kind of all getting pretty sick of your own songs really quickly and liking to add um, new stuff to the set, like pretty much as soon as you have it written. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was wondering how like the new album is, has been sitting with you now that's been out for a bit and done for even longer than that. Yeah. Like, um, I, I do love the new album. I think that it was, uh, definitely a mood. Same with three. Um, I think that it is much more, confident it's much more unapologetic um and it has like you know like some crazy shit going on (laughs) and like we weren't really afraid to sort of like push buttons with it Mm -hmm. um I do like it I don't think I'll ever dislike it um I do get sick of I mean not even I mean really the people that get sick of the old music is uh John and (laughs) Mike um but I will um, I will say that I do like 
the album and definitely um, sitting with it for a little bit, I sort of realized like, wow, like, you know, just my like vocals alone, um, when I think about it, it's just like, whoa, like I used to have this tiny little yelling scream that, you know, was like, oh, it was startling, but it wasn't, you know, it was like, oh, that's, that's a thing that they do. Um, but after, you know, Querida Hija, it was like, I had the ability, you know, and now the technique of being able to have screams that were very like gutter just more more so suffering whereas the screams on this album is more so anger or more so like um frustration things like that mm -hmm. um and so i kind of like that like it in its own way i do sort of miss the sound that we had on three just because i really really um resonated with the to be honest, the fact that it was so depressing. <laughs> um, it's just, um, it, it was more of an emotional experience with three. But even with Querida Hija, it's, it's an emotional experience in and of itself. Um, I mean, like a lot of it does have to do with um, sort of reclaiming. And then it's also really centered around like, um, it's kind of like conceptually uh, about the experience of motherhood with the um, suffering of daughterhood, essentially. <laughs> um, and yeah, I like it in its own way, just like I like three in its own way. I do hope that we get back to, um, to more emotionally driven things. Not that it's not emotionally driven, but this one was, was definitely more angry. I like to brood, so. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, yeah, I mean, and like your music is like so eclectic i feel like you could kind of do anything with the next release whatever it ends up being and it would feel natural yeah thanks thank you <laughs> um so i wanted to talk about oh, you mentioned like the kind of like brooding feeling and i feel like the first track kind of is maybe the best example of that on the album and kind of has a interesting way of kind of setting up the rest of the album and to me it almost like feels like it could be something out of like the nightmare before christmas or something like that <laughs> um but could you talk a little about how that one like came together oh yeah um for that one essentially what it was it was um the thing is with all our songs it's always john writes a riff and then me and mike build off of it well Mike structures it and cleans it up and tells them what time signature they're playing in and um, <laughs> all of that fun stuff. And I'm sort of like the, the decorator, like I'm sort of like the icing on the cake and I do like that role. So that's cool. Um, but essentially John came up with this riff for that first song and it was that really weird, you know, little progression arpeggio I don't know if you call it that but I'm not a music theory kid I'm not a music <laughs> kid <laughs> but um yeah and they came up with that and then I had that you know really minimal bass line um and then Mike was just I don't think you should have drums on this and then I was just like oh yeah okay sure um and then we had a chord organ um, that John bought for like, what, like 20 bucks <laughs> from somewhere. I don't even remember, but they bought this chord organ and, you know, Mike played around with it and I sort of like guided, um, guided him into playing like the melody that I was singing. 
um and it went from there and then you know he he would just like um improvise off of that um and it was just a very like sweet sort of like lullaby type of thing and that's why we put the chord organ in that's why there's no drums and stuff mm-hmm. and I thought that you know it would be a great opener for the album I thought that you know it was just very um it set a mood um and then it was disturbed right after second song um and then there's also just the other um the other soft song on the album which we also came up with i think maybe like the same day um because we were just feeling soft that day i guess (laughs) um but yeah that that's pretty much how how it went it was just john makes the riff i do the bass and i do the vocals and then mike was just like no drums chord organ and then that's how that happened <laughs> very cool yeah i mean that i guess that makes sense the way i i don't think i even like fully processed that like there weren't drums on it but but <laughs> it makes sense and it definitely i feel like that's kind of fitting for like an intro song too just in general and that song in particular as well <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah and i guess i'm just also curious about um i mean two of the kind of like I feel like the songs that kind of maybe encapsulate the album the best are like Prime Crier and it was the first time I remembered a Saturday night. Um, And they're also like two of my favorites with the kind of, you mentioned like the anger feelings throughout the album and the kind of, it it definitely has like an eerie feel to it as well. Um, And kind of all the variations within the music that are kind of, it kind of gives you a little bit of everything that I feel like kind of Foxtails is about. could you tell me a little bit about those songs and just, I guess, about like the style of the album itself in general? Oh, yeah. Um, so pretty much the the whole thing with this album was sort of like several people and John and I have all said that this is like the fuck you album, where it's just sort of like um, we were just tired of holding ourselves back and we were just like okay like let's just do what we want like and I know that that's sort of like the the theme there but it was just it was mostly letting go of these inhibitions and these expectations of what we were supposed to sound like Mm -hmm. um and it was just going through with whatever kind of experimentation we wanted, whatever kind of um, crazy idea we had. I shot down some ideas because I didn't like them, but that's okay. (laughs) Uh, There were still some ideas that did come through. Um, In terms of Saturday Night, um, Saturday Night's a fucking crazy song. (laughs) Um, And it's definitely the one that I think John is most proud of um because I mean the guitar parts were just absolutely wild um and I actually had a bit of a hard time with the song because that um you know the the part the second part right after the soft part it goes into the crazy weird thing that they do um I had trouble making a bass line for that and I was like fuck what am I gonna do and at first I was doing like bass like pops like like little bass blasts and stuff like that and then I was just like oh it sounds really empty I don't really like it and then John was like fuck it do something else and I was like oh okay and then I came up with this bass line that's like really weird somehow fitting and it was a song that 
I think was really cool in capturing a lot of the chaos that is like pretty much in our brains because <laughs> we're all pretty eccentric is a good word probably um like just overall pretty weird um and so we wanted that song to be like this sort of like edge of your seat um really you know like catches you off guard um and you know makes you sort of be like whoa i don't think i've heard something like this before mm-hmm. um and that was the the main thing that was really cool like the way of approaching screamo that was not really common we hadn't really heard any other we don't even know what to say when people ask when people ask us like oh can you give us a for fans of and i'm like <laughs> uh i have no fucking clue um but yeah no and it, it was pretty much just like that organized chaos that we were going for and me the way that i approached it was sort of like also disinhibiting myself and getting angry and getting like frustrated and screaming and loud and fast and everybody just sort of felt it um and then you know being able to go back to that sweet little um verse and it's all nice and sing-songy um when it i think it's really cool how it just sort of culminates especially at the end mm-hmm. um and prime crier was um Prime Car was a really interesting one too. It, it's funny because I didn't really, it wasn't one of my favorites. I do like it, um, but it wasn't one of my favorites at first, but now I can definitely see the appeal in it. The the panned screams I thought were cool. That was a cool idea. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, no, honestly, like it, it, those two songs are definitely like um, an example of the ranges that were willing to go to um and the expense to which we're able to go to um and i think it it was a very much so like those two songs are definitely fuck you songs they're definitely like um you either um listen to this and you dig it and you love it or you don't and if you don't we don't really give a fuck (laughs) (laughs) for sure yeah and i mean like going back to you mentioning like not really being able to come up with like a four fans of I, i think that's something that appeals to me about it for sure and like there's definitely like little math rock elements and there's like the screaming obviously and even like the sax and saturday night and stuff it's like it's kind of all over the place but it like works so well at the same time (laughs) Uh, thank you (laughs) and i mean you, you kind of talked about just like the musical range too um and i'm curious about kind of like especially like your screaming range, how you kind of have so many different styles that you're able to work in. Um, How did you kind of develop that? And also how do you kind of decide which style to use in different places? So um, funny enough, I discovered that I was able to scream um, back when we were writing the songs for our first album. Um, And one of the songs I was singing, obviously, I was singing for all of the songs, but this was like, I think our first song that we ever wrote. Um, and I was singing the part, I was singing the part, it was very, um, I was, it wasn't very professional. So I, I wasn't, not that I wasn't a good vocalist, but I just, I didn't have the technique. So I would sing it. And then when I was trying to sing the melody that I wanted to, 
I couldn't get it right. I couldn't get it right. I couldn't get it right. And then eventually I just got so frustrated that while they were playing it, I just screamed the part because I was so frustrated with it. And they all looked at me and they were just like, keep it. And from that point on, I was like, oh, okay, I guess I can incorporate screaming in in another way too. Um, And then from there, you know, the first album, my screams, obviously the the most intense was um, in a song called Every Window in Alcatraz is a View of San Francisco, which was a very, 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 very emotional song for me. Um, And so I had sort of this untrained scream, but at the same time, it was so, I was so emotionally involved in it to like the EP and stuff like that. I started, you know, using technique um, in my screams and, you know, just because you, it's funny because people are like, oh, but you don't sound like a metal vocalist, but you don't need to have um, technique, you don't have need to, um, need to be a metal vocalist in order to have technique with your screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of it was, you know, I developed technique. Um, and then I also just developed a lot of vocal control. Um, and this was, you know, I, I was just doing it because, I don't know, time makes you better at things whenever <laughs> you keep doing it over and over and over again, you start to get a little better. Um, and then I started um, experimenting a little more of like, okay, like, what are the pitches I can scream? Like, what do I, you know, what do I feel? What is it, you know, like, there, there's a lot of times where you sort of feel an emotion that's so intense that you just want to scream. And so I would just scream every single time it was different. And um, pretty much it was, it didn't, it then developed into um, the, you know, trying to see exactly how far the range went. Um, And so I started pushing myself a little bit more and then I developed um, the ability to do like the really high pitched um, sort of squealing type of scream. Um, And that was really interesting because like, um, you know, I'm I'm AFAB, so I have like a naturally higher voice and it, it was cool and everything. But I was just like, what happens if I do that? And so like with the voice that I have, I was able to do these screams these high-pitched screams that were like ear piercing and I was just like whoa that's crazy that that can come out of me um and a lot of people also would be like yeah you I do not expect that scream to come out of you because in real life I am five feet tall and I weigh 90 pounds so like it's it's really unexpected when it does happen um and it's also sort of like I hate to say it, but it is kind of gimmicky, too, because a lot of people who, you know, would come to the show who didn't know us or whatever, they would hear me scream and it was just like, whoa, like, and then, you know, usually I would be singing first and be like, oh, my God, like, I wasn't expecting that, blah, 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 blah. Um, But it was pretty much time that allowed me to develop that sort of ability to, you know, be a little more versatile in the screaming. And in terms of deciding when to do what scream, um, I don't really decide. I just sort of feel it out. And I just think, okay, what is this? Uh, Usually, like, I'll just have John and Mike just play the song over and over and over and over again until I can write lyrics, until I can sing it, or until I realize, until I um, decide that I'm going to scream it. So, yeah, it's pretty much just I will listen to the part and decide from there if I'm going to sing or if I'm going to scream. And if I'm going to scream, how am I going to scream? You know? 
Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was funny, like you mentioning kind of how you started screaming it was like just the sheer frustration. It, it reminded me of that video of like the little girl where she's singing like, and I will always love you. And she keeps yeah. like messing it up and then just screams. <laughs> <laughs> I love that video. Oh my God. I wonder where she is now. Maybe you could go on tour with her. <laughs> yeah, right. I hope she's famous. <laughs> um, and you, you were mentioning a little bit about kind of, um, you come up with the lyrics and then kind of figure out um, where, what, how to kind of, which, which style to take them in. Um, I was curious about like your lyrical style. I mean, it's very, especially on this album, it's like super visceral, but also um, has like a real poeticism to it. I feel like, um, like, especially like the line on um, the chickening when it's like jokes on who funny you the victim. I so victimized. Like I love like the delivery of that and just like, like I said, like the way it's like so poetic and stuff. Um, could you talk a little bit about just kind of like your approach to lyric writing and like your style? Sure. Thank you. Um, yeah. So lyric writing is really, um, it's, it's very special to me. I wish that I gave myself more time to do it. Um, because it's very cathartic for me. I really like lyrics. Um, I don't like, writing it's funny I don't (laughs) like um you know writing books or stories or anything like that but I love writing lyrics and even you know poetry like I kind of would write poetry but I I really like lyrics and the reason is because um I feel a lot from the music so I'm able to sort of imagine an atmosphere and once I have an atmosphere I have a setting I have a mood so at that point I'll move from there and be like okay this is what this makes me feel um and I really love the English language Spanish is my first language but um English is like so interesting to me because of fucking synonyms just just (laughs) so many different ways to say the same thing I love it I fuck with it so much um I I, I love to sort of put like um, kind of like a, like a miserable spin on things. Um, a lot of my lyric writing does have to do with, um, you know, either mental illness, um, trauma, abuse, um, or even just like, you know, myself, my experiences, like um, my my life pretty much um and what I find that I have always done um a lot of it is because I take a lot of influence from lyricists like um like Tom York um or like um Trish Keenan from Broadcast um and what I really liked about their lyrics was that they were so like they were so painful but in a way you couldn't fully understand and it was just sort of these really cryptic types of like coded language that you would have to figure out yourself and you know I like that a lot of people will resonate with my lyrics in their own way um, because it's sort of you know it's not it's not like completely up like it's not completely no concept but it, some of it is up to interpretation and personal interpretation um and so it can mean something different to everybody and that's something that i really liked about my lyrics um because 
And it was something that was honestly unintentional because really when I'm writing lyrics, all I'm doing is thinking about what this makes me feel and what do I want to say? Like, what do I want to say about it? Um, so a lot of it ends up being about like, like for example, on the chickening, um, you know, jokes on who, funny you. And I knew that I wanted those lyrics. Um, and it was just sort of like, you know, it connects the emotion, like the song, like that riff in that song feels very like taunting to me. So I sort of took it upon myself to do something a little like, you know, it was like playing around a little, you know, um, but at the same time, it was just like, the way that it relates to my life is that whenever I'm like, done, and by done, I mean, like, so depressed, I mean, like, so frustrated, so stressed that like, you're done. Um, I kind of laugh, like I laugh at things a lot. And it's like, it's sort of like a laughable, funny kind of thing. And so that's what I felt in that moment. It's like jokes on who? Funny you, a victim. I so victimized because, you know, people throughout my entire life have called me the victim. So yeah, it really just has to do with the mood that the song is evoking towards me. Um, that helps me determine what you know, what lyrics I'm going to write. Yeah, that's really cool. I feel like I haven't really heard people talk about it like, kind of in that way before. Like, I mean, obviously the music and the lyrics are always kind of connected, but I feel like that is kind of like another level from what I've heard. Like you kind of almost said it like the music is like a prompt and it's like your lyrics are an essay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. Yeah. Cause it's like, yeah, I'm basically trying to write about the emotions that I'm feeling just in general especially with the song um and then there's also the um the whole thing where if i feel that an entire song is like a general mood i'm able to do even more with it because i can you know just sort of talk about everything that's in the range of that mood like for mm -hmm. example go from chaos to like calmed down to like back to chaos and to sort of like a fooling way of you know making you think that everything is calm when everything is not um if something is you know if a song is really overall pretty depressing um i have so much material for depressing shit so um that that's pretty easy for me because i feel like there's so many layers to depression and so many layers to so many emotions even emotions like anger like frustration like those primal emotions there's so many layers to it and if you go explore the depths of all of those emotions and you really start to ask why like why how you know am i feeling this way or you know how how much this emotion how deep can this emotion go pretty much yeah, I mean, and that makes sense too, like the way, like I mentioned, I think before, like kind of just the vibe that your music has. And so it makes sense, like, that the lyrics and everything are kind of in service of that environment that's like created by the music. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah especially um and there are some times where I'll write lyrics you know by themselves but I end up just making those like my own poetry because yeah like lyrics and music are I, ha I have to hear the music I have to really like resonate with it mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and um, and you had mentioned um, Spanish being your first language, and obviously with like the name of the album and the title track being all in Spanish, and like the Spanish intro on the chickening, um, it seems to be something that's like important to you and like your identity. Um, could you talk a little bit about just like that and bringing it into your music? Of course, yeah. Um, so I I did realize like after. Um, three came out you know i had the um the album cover of three is just you know that picture of my mom and um after i um moved out of my house um well before i moved out of my house i came out to my mom um as a lesbian and you know she was really not even bad about it i thought it was going to be worse because my dad was like really homophobic and really you know I was afraid I'd get kicked out of the house if anyone found out stuff like that um but you know my mom and I developed a much better relationship over just like that small period of time and I sort of started realizing you know what I was dissociating from which was like my family um so all of my family on my mom's side they're in Argentina which is my home like my mom's home country um and I got this feeling of like sadness because it's like I haven't seen my family in 10 years it was something that I was just sort of like, okay, let me not dissociate from this. Let me actually, um, you know, work through this and figure out what the fuck I feel. Um, and I realized that people, you know, th there's a couple of bands in Screamo, um, like Masanera, Amygdala, um, Entierralos is another one, um, you know, and they all incorporate Spanish into their music but it's really only a re it's a small handful of people um and so i didn't really listen to a lot of screamo that incorporated spanish in it is, except for like those couple of bands um and it was something that i sort of thought about and i was like why you know and, and you know people in latin america listen to screamo people all across the world listen to screamo um so why is it so tailored to an American English speaking perspective, mm. you know, why can't this be explored any further? So since this was the fuck you album, um, <laughs> I decided, fuck that. I'm going to incorporate Spanish. And on top of that, um, I found these letters and it's actually included as album art. Um, and I think in the vinyl, um, there were these letters that my grandfather wrote to my mom when she first moved here to the United States. Um, she actually wasn't planning to stay here. She actually came on vacation. Um, and then she met my dad and she got pregnant and she overstayed her visa and she couldn't really go back until she had the papers. And, um, my grandfather would write letters to her because, you know, this was back in the 90s. Those letters just sort of like, especially when I saw them talk, when I saw my grandfather just talk about me um, in the later letters um, and mention, you know, that I wanted to see my beautiful granddaughter and, you know, stuff like that. Um, it was a lot of sadness. Um, and the name of the album, Querida Hija, is actually because of those letters, um, because it was something that I found to be like really beautiful and like 
heartbreaking at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to incorporate Spanish because, um, first of all, it's funny because Querida, which is like the semi-title track of the album, um, if you noticed, I don't scream at all. Um, It's completely sung. um, And it was a very like, I think it was more on the side of nostalgia than the rest of the album. Um, and I showed my mom and I showed, and my mom showed my family in Argentina and they were, everybody was just like absolutely in love with it. And it was just like, yeah, like I helped to create that sort of bridge because, you know, like my mom doesn't like Screamo. She hates Screamo. <laughs> um, so like for her to be able to listen to one of my songs and say, wow, that's really beautiful. I can understand every word that my daughter is saying and I can show this to our family and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and even like the intro and the chickening I showed her and she, she laughed her ass off because she thought it was the best thing. Um, <laughs> and so like, it, it's just like, first of all, like, fuck it. Like, absolutely. Anybody who speaks Spanish and wants to incorporate it in Screamo absolutely should because it creates that bridge. Not only does it create more of a personal experience, um it's also something that's not done very often so it means a lot when it is done um and it also just creates a gap of accessibility like you're able to you know people who speak spanish are able to listen to this weird genre of music that they normally wouldn't have fucking listened to Mm -hmm. um and whenever screamo bands do incorporate spanish i think it's extremely important because it's extremely important for latinx people to be visible in screamo and a lot of times they're not a lot of times you know um latinx identities do get erased they do you know people do conform to whiteness i know that i definitely did when i was first starting out i know that i definitely wanted to look white act white so that people wouldn't think anything different of me so that people you know wouldn't see me as an outsider so that people would accept me um but then I was like, yeah, no, fuck that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's awesome. I, I think that's really special that you were able to like embrace that. And I think it's, and I mean, just like the way you mentioned, like your mom not really understanding a lot of the words that you scream in some of the songs. Yeah. It's like kind of like, oh, the screamo kids now get the normie experience of not being able to understand the, the screamo <laughs> stuff. <laughs> exactly. That's that's kind of like the the best part. I think it's just like there's so many people that are just like, what the fuck are they saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And uh, did you find like? how was the like lyric writing how did that differ like doing it in spanish were you able to kind of like latch on to some other stuff doing that versus like writing in english uh well yeah i mean like it was pretty much the same process uh the only thing is i had to have my mom proofread to make sure i was grammatically correct (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) yeah so like she she contributed a little bit um but it was I I wanted to do a song entirely in Spanish because I you know I just wanted to have it I just wanted it to be a thing I wanted genre that is meant for them it you know they can resonate with it um and then with the lyric writing I mean it was pretty much the same approach I'm like if you translate those lyrics it's still pretty cryptic um it's still pretty um you know, you, you can interpret it how you want to. Um, and then I think that one of the main things about um, 
querida, which is, which is that last one, um, the main thing is that I speak a lot about like my growth um, as, you know, not only a person, but as a daughter. Um, and there's a, you know, the lyrics are pretty, I'm going to probably put up an English translation of them at some point. Um, just because I, I do really think it's a beautiful song and, um, it, it does mean a lot that I'm, I'm able even be able to write lyrics in Spanish. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that I, I got the same sort of artistic style out of it. I'm glad it was still me. I'm glad that I didn't sacrifice it because my mom also was just like, you should change that. And I'd be like, nope. Is it grammatically correct? And then nope. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that it was, it definitely was harder. Um, but overall, I think it was, it was pretty, pretty good experience. Mid-show shout-out. It's time for the mid-show shout-out. This week, it's Lead Singer Syndrome, hosted by Shane Told of Silverstein. The show is unique in the fact that the relationship between Shane and his interviewee is often one of friendship, or at least equals. With both sides of the conversation coming from lead singers, there is a certain understanding and rapport that is not always there in other interviews. Shane is both the frontman of one of my favorite bands and one of my favorite podcasts. The recent episodes with Fred Mascherino, formerly of Taking Back Sunday, and Anthony Ranieri of Bayside were especially enlightening. There's a reason why it's consistently on the top 200 music podcast chart on Apple Podcasts. So if you don't know, go find out for yourself. I wanted to ask, I thought this would be a kind of fun question. Uh, I, I noticed on the Hartford Current piece that you did um, a couple years ago, you mentioned uh, being kicked off the stage a couple times in the past. Uh, <laughs> is there any uh, good story there? <laughs> yeah, so um, so this is really hilarious, actually. Um, so we used to play when we were when we were young and we were just starting out. We used to play shows at this pizza restaurant type thing in um, Bridgeport where I used to live um, and it was called Two Boots um, and they had a little stage and it was really cute and they had like indie acts there like every week I think it was like every Friday or something um, and at first we were there and we were welcomed and you know all that stuff and you know people liked us there um and then the dude that originally ran like the shows there he ended up leaving um he he was he was a really interesting dude i think he was probably insane but that <laughs> it, but it was he was great it was funny um and so this new guy took over um and then we were playing a show um and at this point we came up with the new material from o tempora and this was heavy stuff so this was like we played the song timeline um which is the first song off of that ep with the blast beats um and the dude that was running the show came up to the stage i was like no 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 you gotta <laughs> like you know like, like and i was just like oh my god like we're getting kicked off of the fucking stage um and it was fucking amazing. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I thought that was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, <laughs> and like, I, it was crazy because it, we started out in the indie scene. So at this point, people were booking us thinking that we were just an indie band um, and that we were just going to play like cutesy music because I was this 
you know, girl, quote unquote, that, you know, played, you know, the, at the time I only did vocals, you know, uh, oh, and she sings and she's so, um, you know, um, what a pretty voice and blah, blah, blah. And then I start screaming and people are like, oh, what is that? I, <laughs> I don't know what that is. That's awesome. I love that defining of expectations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like one of the best things, I think. <laughs> For sure. Um, and then I like to ask, I, I have the same last question every time, um, just asking for either like a piece of advice or like a general observation that you've had lately that you'd like to share, um, either about music or just like life in general. Oh, okay. Hmm. So I'm the life expert now. (laughs) (laughs) So um, probably that's a good question. Um, When it comes to music, I would say that, you know, for anyone that is either afraid of doing it is, you know, thinks they're not good enough to do it, um, thinks that they suck, all of this stuff. Everybody sucks until they don't. (laughs) And that should never, ever, ever, ever stop you from making music, especially for, you know, people of color out there and like women and, you know, queer people who are out there who feel that sort of like inhibition and, oh, like people don't want to hear this or whatever. It doesn't matter who you're playing for. It doesn't matter what you're trying to go for. Make your art because I promise that that's the most rewarding thing when you're able to have something that you've created and look back on it and think, oh, maybe that did suck, but I can always do something better. And you continue creating and you continue creating. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about music and about art in general is just that, you know, everybody does suck at first. You know, there's some prodigies out there that can do it all in like five seconds and, (laughs) you know, they don't have to practice or anything, but not everybody's a prodigy. Um, So I would say that like probably the main thing is don't be discouraged by anything. Like, Mm -hmm fucking do it just do it (laughs) for sure yeah I love that whole kind of like that that's been so getting more like prevalent lately just encouraging anyone to do it and it's like it doesn't even have to be like you don't have to publicly release it you can just make bedroom demos for yourself and just have a fun Uh, time doing that (laughs) yeah exactly yep and uh actually the um the episode is going up tomorrow the band's new album is called you can do this too which is like intentionally supposed to be kind of having that same message so it's funny that you kind of mentioned that (laughs) that is so cool i'm so glad (laughs) nine episodes down and the train that is flying the call keeps rolling if this conversation wasn't enough to pique your interest in foxtails i don't know what else to tell you their music is refreshing challenging and intense not just within the screamo genre but music as a whole thank you to megan for being so open and making this interview so special Stay tuned next week for a very special episode 10. It's a slightly late 10-year retrospective on one of my favorite albums ever, and the longest, most in-depth episode to date. There may have even been a hint as to who it is in this very episode. If you missed the hint, be sure to check out Twitter and Instagram on Monday for another clue. And remember, if you're the first person to get it right, you'll get to hear the episode early. I haven't been able to give that prize out yet, but I'd certainly love to. Oh, and also check back next episode for details on a little giveaway I'll be running. Exciting stuff. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. 
You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyOnTheCallPod. Feel free to email questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyOnTheCallPod at gmail.com. I'll see you out there. Fly on the call. you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I feel like a shirtless. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.